We are in a series called Gospel in Life, How Grace Changes Everything. And so we are walking through different aspects of our life and talking about how the undeserved favor of God makes a difference. And today the question I'm trying to answer is this, how do we get right with God? And once we're right with God, how do we remain in a right relationship with him? How do we go from being enemies of God to being friends of God? How do we go from, having, from being alienated from him to reconciled to him, from having the wrath of God rest upon us because of our sin to having the grace of God rest upon us in Jesus? How do we go from here to there? We got to know how to go from here to there. Now, some people might say, well, you know, really bad people need to know how to go from here to there, but... Aren't the rest of us already right with God? I mean, that whole question, how do I get right with God, presupposes that I'm on the wrong side of God. And why would I be on the wrong side of God? I'm a nice person, and he's a nice God. Well, the Bible says, actually, all people on the planet start out alienated from God, with the wrath of God resting upon us because of our sin, enemies of God, unless there is a, something happens, and we move from here to there and become uh, reconciled to God. The, the Apostle Paul puts it this way to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, he writes, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So he doesn't say, hey, Colossians, some of you were once alienated from God and have now been reconciled. All of you were once alienated from God, and that is the case with all Christians. We were always, we always started out as alienated before we became reconciled. So how do we move from here to there? How do we uh, get right with God? Let me start with the negative before we turn to the positive, because the fact of the matter is most people who want to get right with God go about it in the wrong way. Most people who want to get right with God go about it in the wrong way. And so we need to knock down the right way because it's the path that makes sense to our human thinking. It's the path we'll inevitably go on unless we're taught otherwise. And that is the path of performance, the path of good works. It's the I'm going to... Get right with God by being good enough that I can win his favor. He'll notice the effort I'm putting in, and I'll win his approval. That's how I'll get right with God. And so if you're a Muslim, you're thinking, I'm going to follow the five paths of Islam, and I'm going to do it consistently and with enough zeal that eventually God will notice, and I will please him, and he'll say, all right. I see the effort you're putting in. We're good. Uh, maybe you're a Jew and you think, I'm going to uh, get right with God by keeping the Old Testament law and thereby I'll win his favor. Maybe you're a Hindu. No, you don't believe in one personal God, but there is a God and you want to be, that you want to be friends with. And how do you win that God's... How do you get right with that God? By sacrifice and devotion and eventually that God says, I notice you, you have found favor in my eyes, and I will begin to bless you. 
And unfortunately, our churches are filled with people who are trying to get right with God through performance, through effort. Now, they go about it in a Christian way. They go to church. They read their Bible and pray. They serve in the Sunday school. They give their money. And uh, they might even go into Christian ministry. But fundamentally, their heart says, I'm going to perform. And if I do it long enough and, and uh, with enough excellence, eventually God will notice. I'll win favor in his eyes. And then he will pour out into my life forgiveness of sins, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He'll listen to my prayers and take care of me. And when I die, he'll take me to live with him in heaven because through my good works, I have won his favor and, and become deserving of the rewards of the Christian life. This is the majority of path. Throughout history, most people who want to get right with God go about it that way. And it is a path that unfortunately does not lead to God. If anything, it leads you farther away from God. One of the reasons we cannot perform our way into God's good graces is because the bar God sets for impressing him is unattainable. It's simply too high. You must be holy as I am holy, God says. And this is why Jesus shocked his hearers by telling them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that was shocking to the hearers, to Jesus's audience, because the scribes and the Pharisees were the most religious, punctilious people in the world at that time. And most people... Uh, did not think that they had any chance of being that good because those Pharisees uh, spent a whole lot of time and energy being as good as they were. And Jesus is saying, unless your, your righteousness exceeds that, you can't get into heaven, then I have no chance. In James, the apostle James chapter 2 verse 10 puts it this way. He reminds us that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. A number of years ago, Sabrina made a bet with me. She said, you can't go a single week without leaving a trace. She was complaining about how I cluttered up her world. And I said, oh, yes, I can. And she, we made a bet, and there was a big carrot she dangled in front of me. I did nothing else that week except fixate on leaving no trace, and I was awesome. But it really did take everything I had. All I thought about was, did I, have I dropped something? Did I leave something, uh, you know, a dirty dish? And I made it day one, day two, day three. She, by the way, was sleuthing me like crazy. She was following around. She was, she was looking for a mess up. Five, six. I was on day seven, and it was about 10 p.m. I was at the finish line. And, and I remember she said, hey, did you just leave that on the counter? believe it. I lost it in the last two hours. 
It was so crushing. I did not get to eat my carrot. And that is what, that is what James is saying. Your whole life, you go about it perfectly. One little mistake. And in God's eyes, you are now in the camp of the lawbreaker. It's as if you've broken all of them. God's standard of, uh, you want to impress me? You've got to be perfect as I am perfect, is unattainable. Only Jesus Christ has attained it. No other human has ever attained it. There is none righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul talks about the fact that he began his Christian life, or not his Christian life, he began his life trying to earn God's favor, and then he abandoned it when he came uh, encountered the gospel of grace uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. And he tells us about that change in Philippians. So he's writing a letter to the Christians in Philippi, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, and he writes, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. If, if you think that you have a chance of, of getting right with God through your own performance... I had an even better chance. I was absolutely top of the class. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I was the top of the class. Creme de la creme. And I had... If anyone had an opportunity to get right with God through performance, through good work, through effort, it was I. But I gave it up because I realized it led me not to God, but in fact led me away from God. And I gave it up in exchange for salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness, listen to this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from keeping the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. To the Christians in Ephesus, he put it this way, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved. Grace, unmerited favor. You did not deserve it. God just gives it to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If we could get right with God through our own good performance, then we could boast in our performance. But since the only way to get right with God is through undeserved favor, through accepting a gift, we don't boast in our performance. We boast in God and his goodness. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 18. This is our core text for today. Jesus is teaching a parable Luke chapter 18, verse 9. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So right off the bat, we're told the target audience. Jesus is telling this parable to a particular person or type of person. The person who trusts in himself that he's righteous and treats others with contempt. Jesus knows that people are trying to get right with God through their own good works. And he knows that that path does not lead them to God at all. And he's concerned about it. And so he tells this parable to hopefully open their eyes to see that that's not the path they should be on. There is a better path, a path of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Verse 10, here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So you have two guys who are going to the temple to pray because they want to have a relationship with God. They want to be right with God, but they're going about it in two very different ways. On one hand, you have a Pharisee, and a Pharisee, this is the law keeper. This is the high performer, okay? And uh, Pharisees have a bad rap today, but in Jesus' day, they were admired because... uh, you know, the Old Testament said you fast once a year. They said, you know what? We'll fast once a week. The Old Testament said you give 10% of everything you make uh, to the Lord in tithe. And they say, we'll do that. Plus, we'll tithe even off of our garden's produce. On the other hand, you have a tax collector. And a tax collector in Jesus' day is synonymous with sinner. How do they make their money? By charging their fellow Jew more taxes than they actually owe the Roman government. And they pocket the difference. They were excluded from good society. And so they had to hang out with other people excluded from good society, prostitutes and other sinful people. They both want a relationship with God, and they go about it in two very different ways. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. Why is he by himself? Because he does not think of himself as part of the rabble. He's he's better than And he doesn't want to be made, perchance, ceremoniously unclean by rubbing shoulders with the common person. He prays thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. First thing I want you to notice here is that the Pharisee asks nothing from God. The only thing he asks is that God notice how good he is, right? And that's because he doesn't think he needs anything from God except to be noticed for his high performance. God, please look at me, notice what I'm doing. And fundamental belief he has is that if God sees his good works, God will be pleased with him and will pour out blessing in his life. I'm good enough for God to look at me, be pleased with me, be in a right relationship with him, and to begin to receive his blessings. Hypocrisy is not the issue. Nowhere nowhere does Jesus challenge his self-assessment. It's not that he's, you know, deluded. He probably, we can assume he's doing all these things. Hypocrisy is not the issue. It's how he is uh, seeking to be right with God. 
Verse 13, here's the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, why is he standing far off? Because he does not feel worthy to approach God. Would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, another posture of uh, humility, shame before God, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Actually, in Greek, it's not a, it's the definite article, the, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. What's his fundamental sense of self? I am sinful. I am separated from God, deserving of God's judgment. He brings nothing to the table. He doesn't say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and I will go change my life. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and I will go out and make a great sacrifice. I'll go out and make restitution to all those I have cheated. He, he promises nothing. He offers nothing. Six words. All he does is cast himself completely upon the mercy of God. I have one hope. And God, that is that you will save me. You have to do everything. I have nothing to offer. If I have any hope of being saved, you save me because of your own mercy. So two very different paths to trying to be right with God. On one hand, you have the path of performance. And on the other hand, you have a path of of casting yourself upon the mercy of God. Path of of grace. And so what's uh, what's the outcome? What's the result? Jesus could have said, they both went home justified because there are many paths to God. You can uh, get right with God through good works and through high performance, or you can cast yourself upon the mercy of God and, and get right with him that way. Many paths to God. No, that's not what Jesus says. Verse 14, I tell you, this is the second person of the Trinity. This is God himself telling us what really happened. I tell you, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The Pharisee went home still in his sins with the wrath of God still resting upon him, still alienated from God, still an enemy of God, despite his good works, despite all of his law-keeping and high performance. The tax collector goes home justified, declared righteous in God's eyes, the, the heavenly gavel has come down, not guilty. Sins taken away. Right standing with me. And he did nothing. He did nothing except humble himself and cast himself fully upon the mercy of God. And that is what God responded to. Jesus tells us the spiritual principle at work in this parable. Here it is. This is the punchline of this parable. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be 
exalted. Do you realize that when you try to get right to God with God through your own performance, you're actually exalting yourself? Because what you're saying is, God, I don't need you to do anything except notice my effort. Notice my performance. Notice how awesome I am. That's exalting yourself. And God won't accept that. But when you come like the tax collector, empty-handed, saying, God, I cannot save myself. I, I have nothing to offer you. I cast myself completely upon your mercy. My only hope is that you would act on my behalf. That's humbling yourself. And God honors that. Now, behind the scenes... There's God who left heaven in the person of Jesus Christ, and he lived a righteous life, which gets credit to our account. And he hung upon the cross to pay the full penalty for our sin, and he burst forth from the grave to cancel the power of sin and death. God's grace is poured out in the person of Jesus. It's made manifest to us in Jesus Christ And so we receive the gift of God's grace in Jesus. We don't earn it. We merely receive it. Have you prayed the prayer of the tax collector? The six words aren't magical words. It's the humble heart that God exalts. Or are you trying to earn God's favor through your good Christian deeds? Paul says this to the Galatians, chapter 2, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know... That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Clear biblical teaching. How do you get right with God? By coming to him empty-handed, casting yourself upon his mercy and receiving the free gift of grace in Jesus. That's how you get saved. Now, there's a danger that, that some Christians can fall into, and it's, it's the danger of believing that you start your relationship with God in, by grace And then you maintain it through performance. And unfortunately, there were some false teachers in Galatia telling the Galatian Christians exactly this. Hey, if you want to maintain right relationship with God, you better keep performing. And so Paul addressing that says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, how did you get saved in the first place? Because you were good enough or because you responded to the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ? You started by grace. 
Then he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, do you, do you think that you now maintain your relationship with God through your own good works and through your performance? No. The same way you began your relationship with God is the way that you continue your relationship with God. So that when you are on your deathbed and you are wrestling with the question of, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? You don't take comfort in your performance. And you don't say, I think I'm going to heaven because I lived a pretty good life. The question you ask is, am I being saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ? That's what you hang your hat on. That's what you take your comfort in. God's grace in Jesus. When I ingested this truth, it transformed my experiential Christian life. I was a Christian. I was saved. But my perception of God's favor of me uh, was dependent upon my performance. And so when I was reading the Bible and praying and helping little old ladies across the street, I felt like my prayers are being heard. God's happy with me. We're good. But when I was not performing well, I felt like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And that was not true. And then I came to understand, I have a relationship with God. I am right in his eyes, not because of my performance, but because of Christ's finished work and God's grace. And so for a number of years, once I got this, I began to pray differently. And so for a number of years, I, I prayed. I would start my prayers like this. I, I would say, God, I am coming into your presence. And I'm coming boldly because you tell me to come boldly. And I'm not coming boldly because, because I'm worthy. I'm not worthy. My performance is spotty at best, God. But I come into your presence boldly because of Christ. The righteous life of Jesus Christ has been credited to my account. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ, so I come wearing the righteousness of Christ. My sins, which are many, Lord, have been paid in full by the death of your son, Jesus. They've been taken away as far as the east is from the west, remembered no more. When you look at me, you don't see Mike in his ups and downs. You see Jesus Christ, and you smile. I am accepted. And so, Lord, it's based on that who I am in Jesus Christ that I come into your presence and I come boldly and I begin to pray. And I would ground myself that way every time I prayed. And that went on for years until I had taken in deeply the truth of who I am in Christ and God's grace to me in Jesus Christ. And, and it became my core identity. And it leveled out my spiritual life. My, you know, I, I just, I knew I have a relationship with God based on grace through faith in Christ. It's not going to change. Now, could I disappoint the Lord through my poor behavior and end up getting his discipline? Uh, yeah, but, right, God disciplines 
those he loves. There was never a question of whether God loves me. The question is whether or not he needed to discipline me. And so now I will say, Lord, I would... I don't want your discipline if I don't have to have it. So I'm going to try to just do what's right. I think my fear of the Lord has increased the older I get, but not my fear of being rejected. I know I am his. I'm sealed with the spirit. I know where I'm going. But I don't want to displease the Lord. And I also know that, you know, his path is best. And I certainly don't like his, you know, want his discipline. If, and, you know, so I don't want that. I don't want to bring more on if I, if I can help it. So, um, when you really, really grasp grace and you begin to live out of grace, it transforms your relationships. It transforms your relationship with God. Think about the tax collector, not the tax collector, the Pharisee's view of God. God's God's just doing what's fair, right? I'm awesome. You recognize that by blessing me. Yeah, that's, that's just what God should do. I'm not, that's not impressive. On the other hand, and God's love for me is dependent upon my performance. Tax collector. Once the tax collector has experienced the grace of God, what's his view of God? God, you are so merciful. Uh, I, you love me, and I didn't deserve it. Thank you, Lord. And he becomes overwhelmed, enamored with God's wonderful character, feels secure in his relationship. God it wasn't dependent on my performance. You just love me. Changes the way uh, we view ourselves. The Pharisee has to view himself as better than other people. That's how he feels secure spiritually. If I'm just like everyone else, then I can't be confident that God notices me and, and, and favors me. So he has to think of himself as better than everybody else. The tax collector's sense of self is, I am the sinner, saved by grace. It changes the way we view other people. Remember what Jesus said, telling this parable to those who trusted in their own righteousness and treat others with contempt. Here's the, here's the way the Pharisee thinks. Hey, you think it's easy fasting twice a week? No. And I'm having to count my cucumbers to tithe on them. It's hard being good. And you know what? You could be good too. You're just a slacker. I care about God. And you're getting what you deserve. If you wanted a good relationship with God, you could discipline yourself like I am. But you're not. And so, see, they look down on other people. Over here, tax, uh, tax collector, experience the grace of God. How do you view other people? I'm the sinner. That's my fundamental view. I'm the sinner. But for the grace of God, there go I. And guess what? So, so at best, you're where I am. You know, or I should say, at worst, you're where I am. Most likely, you're better than I am. And guess what? I know a God who can love you too. Grace changes everything. It fundamentally changes the way we view ourselves, other people, God. It is a much, much better way to live. It's freeing. Bow your heads if you would. Close your eyes. Just so you can 
spend some time with the Lord. Christian, you have experienced the grace of God in Jesus. You know what that's like. And so right now, I want you to begin worshiping God, praising him for his mercy to you, thanking him that your relationship is not based in your performance, it's based in his grace toward you. Celebrate that. It's good. He's worthy. Begin to, begin to celebrate that. If you have not prayed the prayer of the tax collector and your life has not been invaded by God's grace, it can right now. You could have eaten breakfast, an enemy of God, and you can eat dinner, a friend of God. Eat your breakfast, you were alienated from God, you can eat your dinner, reconciled to God. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. They aren't magical words, but if you humble yourself like that, cast yourself fully upon the mercy of God, manifest in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. You can do that right now. And it might be that the Holy Spirit convicted you today that you have been trying to maintain your relationship with God through performance. You began it by receiving God's grace in Jesus Christ, and somewhere you've been deceived into believing that you have to maintain your relationship with God through your own good works. Abandon that lie. Re-embrace God's grace to you. Let the Holy Spirit reconfirm his love for you, your right standing with him because of Jesus. God, we humble ourselves right now. Like the tax collector, we acknowledge we are the sinner. The only sin that matters is our sin because it's what has kept us from you. We cast ourselves fully upon your mercy. We have nothing in our hands to offer you, Lord. And we receive your undeserved favor manifest to us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we receive that as a gift. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.